Hello, friends. You're listening to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris, the Communications Director at Cap City. If this is your first time listening or you just want to say hi, you can email me at ctaylor at capitalcitychristian.org. We're in the middle of a short message series called Mind Blown, where we go over the small book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet who, let's be honest, did a lot of whining. And it's a perfect book for us to look at, or at least it is for me, because we like to whine a lot. But Habakkuk also has some deep truths and challenging concepts for us to work through. Today, we're finishing the series off with the third chapter of Habakkuk with one of the most profound statements of faith in the Old Testament. Let's get started with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad that a lot of folks are following us online. We've got a few names of people that are connecting with us right now. Amber Weber, Dion West, Covington, Allison Henderson, George and Lori Cook, Debbie Cardwell, Alicia Epperson. Thank you for being here, guys. Friend Center, Bob Couts, Hayden Thacker. I'm just really glad you're connecting with us. And I do hope that this is more than just a television show that you're watching. I hope that you engage God. This is an act of worship. Also, I've got something really special uh, to announce for next week. Um, Did you guys know that next week is Father's Day? All of you guys uh, need to remember that one. That one's a big one for us dads. (laughs) That's humor. Uh, We're also going to do two things on Father's Day here at Capital City. Number one, we're going to kick off our summer staycation. We're going to have Bacon Sunday on Father's Day. It's fitting, isn't it? And it's actually, you kind of start out with a highlight. You start out the summer with the very best. That's Bacon Sunday, okay? And then uh, we've also got a guest speaker. And I know that some of you are going to be deeply saddened by that, but you're going to have to listen to Bob Russell. Um, isn't that terrible? I mean, that's, that's humor. He's one of my heroes. Bob Russell is one of the greats in my mind. And he's going to be speaking here for us for Father's Day next week. Bob and bacon. Just think of that, you know. What, what, Bob and bacon. Bob and bacon. Be spreading that out. I hope it's a stimulus for a lot of folks to try to come back. Let's, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, so grateful for your presence. That's why we're here. And I pray that however you move us this morning, <clears throat> we will be receptive. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I used to teach New Testament Greek, and sometimes understanding what a word means is not simple. This is uh, one of the most important words in the New Testament. It's pistuo, and you can translate it different ways. If you look up uh, pistuo in a Greek dictionary, you could translate it believe, have faith, trust. Jesus said one time, pistuote in God and pistuote also in me. You could translate that, believe in God, believe in me. You could translate it, have faith in God, have faith in me. Or you could translate it, trust in God and trust in me. They all work, which is why different translations translate it differently. The NIV says, you believe in God, believe also in me. NLT says, trust in God, trust also in me. Same word, same Greek word, different English words, but it makes a difference. Now, isn't this stuff fascinating? Aren't you guys glad you came to church this morning? A little Greek lesson. It does make a difference. I mean, is Jesus saying, I want you to believe in God and I want you to believe in me? Which is what many of us kind of do. Or is he saying, I want you to have faith in God and I want you to have faith in me? 
In other words, it's not enough just to believe. You have to act on it somehow. Or Jesus saying, trust God, guys, and trust me. In other words, even when it's hard, even when you don't understand God, even when you don't agree with God, trust him. It's actually kind of like this, right? A ladder, I mean, I believe there's a step ladder here, and I believe that it's pretty sturdy. I believe that it can hold me, do you? You think it can hold my weight good enough? And I believe that if I step up on this ladder, I'll be able to reach things that I couldn't reach from here on the floor, and I'll be able to see things I couldn't see from here on the floor. Does that make sense? That's what it is. And that's kind of like one level of pistuita. You can believe in God. You can believe in Jesus. You can believe that God is smarter than you are, more capable than you are, without ever taking a step of faith, right? In fact, the Bible says that's exactly what the demons do. Demons believe and they tremble, but they certainly don't do anything about it concretely. They, never, they know exactly who he is. They know what he can do, but they never surrender. So their belief in God doesn't do them any good. And a lot of Jesus followers are exactly like that. I believe there's a Jesus. I even believe he's probably the son of God. But you never act on it, which means that belief really isn't doing you any good. Other times in the Bible, Pestuotes is kind of like taking that first step, right? Stepping right up here. I mean, the Bible says, have faith in Jesus. Take a step of faith in Jesus. You believe that he's the Lord your God, but you got to take that step of faith to be saved. It's, I mean, that Pestuotes is not about standing down here. That one's about stepping up here. We make a decision to follow Jesus, right? Wherever it takes us. It's a decision to do life with God for God, God's way. And we know we're going to mess up a lot, but we've thrown our lot in with Jesus. This is an act of surrender. This is where being saved really starts, taking that first step of faith. Have you done that? But there's another level of pistuita. You see, when you follow Jesus, sometimes he's going to ask you to go places you don't want to go. He's going to ask you to do things that you're really not comfortable doing, right? You're going to have to trust Jesus. It's going to require trust. It's not entirely safe sometimes. It doesn't feel entirely safe sometimes. A little scary perhaps. But I'm going to do it his way because I trust him. And only up here can I reach the things that God wants me to have. And only up here can I see the things that God wants me to see. And I begin to see what he's doing, and I begin to see what he's done in my past, and I begin to realize that God is absolutely marvelous. But you can't reach that if you don't come up here, right? So where are you in your life with God? Are you down on the bottom, on the level of belief? You believe in Jesus, but you've never taken really that first step of faith where you've thrown in with him, where you've accepted him as your Savior and Lord? Or have you actually climbed up higher to the levels of trust? And I'm wondering whether or not perhaps some of you guys really haven't experienced strength in your life with God or peace in your life with God or joy in your life with God. You know why? Because that stuff comes with trust, doesn't it? In order to experience what God has for you, you've got to have levels of trust in him. Are you settling? Now, I'm going to make this a lot harder. 
Here it is, guys. And personally, I would believe in God even if I knew very little about him. Even if I didn't know about Jesus, I would believe in a God. Most people in history, most humans in history have. It makes sense to them. You see, creation doesn't make sense without a creator. There's got to be some God out there somewhere. But would I have faith in God? Would I take that step of faith? If I didn't know anything about heaven and I didn't know anything about hell, would you? Would you throw in with God? Would you become a Jesus follower if there were no eternal consequences for walking away? Would you be a good person when it's hard if there was no heaven to reward you? Would you be a good person when it's hard if there was no hell to punish you? Would you? Would you be a good person simply because it's right? And it's because what God wanted. Would you be a bigot if you were never going to be held accountable? No consequences now, no consequences ever. Would you hurt people? Would you steal? Would you lie? If you would never be held accountable, no consequences now, no consequences ever. Would you? Because in some ways, that's exactly where Habakkuk lived. If you've been at Capital City over the past month, you'll know that we've been working our way through a remarkable little book called Habakkuk, written about 2,600 years ago, but a very contemporary book because Israel was facing some of the same kinds of issues that our country is facing today. And so some of God's words to Habakkuk sound like that we ought to be listening to him personally today. And you need to understand something about Revelation, about how God has revealed himself to us humans. God didn't just drop the Bible from the sky several thousand years ago. He just kept niggling. He kept on acting. He kept on working with people. And the more he niggled, we, the more we learned about him. The revelation of God is kind of progressive. Abraham knew a whole lot more about God than most of the people in his world. He saw God working in his life. Abraham didn't know as much about God as Moses did centuries later. And Moses didn't know as much about God as David did centuries later. And David didn't know as much about God as the prophets did centuries later because God keeps on working and they kept learning more and more about God. And no one in the Old Testament time knows about as much about God as you do, as we do. You know why? Because Jesus stands in between. Because when Jesus came into our world, we were able to see God in a body. And Jesus revealed to us pieces of God that just simply blow our minds. Well, one thing they didn't know about yet back in Habakkuk's day was heaven and hell. God hadn't revealed that to them yet. Back then, they knew that death wasn't the end, but they figured that everybody was going to go to a place called Sheol, shadowy place of the dead. Good or bad, godly or not, you're going to end up in Sheol. It's not a place of reward and punishment. It's just where the dead went. In other words, if you lived life with God, for God, God's way, in times that are hard, there was no hope of heaven and if you walked away from God in times that were hard, there was no fear of hell. So if you knew nothing about heaven and nothing about hell, would you throw in with God when God confused you? That's the question. 
Would you do life with God if there was no heaven to reward you because you do and no hell to punish you if you didn't? That's the spot Habakkuk was in. But guys, you know about heaven and you know about hell. At least enough that you know that you want to go one and not go the other place. So let me ask you a question. Would you do life with God for God, God's way, if you're going to go to hell anyway? Here it is. Every once in a while in the Bible, there's, a, there's an expression of faith that is so powerful that it literally takes my breath away. I don't have a clue whether I have that much faith. Every once in a while, someone expresses a trust in God so profound it literally blows my mind. In the New Testament, it's Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Here it is. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience, the Holy Spirit, confirm it. In other words, this is going to sound crazy, but I swear to you I'm telling the truth. He says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. That's not the crazy part, guys. He's just telling you his heart breaks for people, right? Here's where it gets crazy. This is amazing. He says, I'd be willing to be forever cursed. I'd be willing to go to hell in their place. I'd be willing to be cut off from Christ forever if that would save them. Listen, guys, is there anybody, is there anybody that you would go to hell for if that would send them to heaven? A friend? Husband or wife, maybe? Kid? Grandkid? An enemy? Someone you love so dearly you say, it's not about me. I'd be willing to do anything to turn them towards Jesus. It's incredible. You see, Paul knew about heaven and Paul knew about hell. And they weren't the reason that he followed Jesus. And in the Old Testament, the kind of faith that takes my breath away is found in Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. What Habakkuk says to God is every bit as crazy as what Paul says. I'm going to show you. It'll blow your mind and it'll challenge your commitment to God, I hope. So... If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, let me kind of catch you up. Habakkuk was a very patriotic prophet. He loved his God, he loved his country, and he was absolutely disgusted with the direction that his country was headed in. They were supposed to be a theocracy, a nation that was following God's law, a nation that was, had godly leaders, but too often their leaders were not godly men, and Israel was not following God's laws. Habakkuk looked around him, and he saw violence, misery, evil, destruction, injustice, and, and Habakkuk starts praying to God, God, we need some help here. And God says, somehow he says to Habakkuk, I know, I got it, I got it. God says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians down from the north. They're going to straighten you out. They're going to clean your clock. And Habakkuk is like, are you serious, God? That's your plan? Your plan is to wipe us out? Your plan is to fix us with people who are worth even worse than we are? That's chapter 1. Chapter 2. Habakkuk says, be patient. I mean, God says, be patient, Habakkuk. You be patient. I am going to work things out. There is a plan that is unfolding that is going to blow your mind. And then God calls out Babylon too. He sees their sins too. And he, 
talks about a day that is coming when he's going to deal with them. In fact, he pronounces five woes. We dealt with these last week. Five woes that God calls out Babylon on their sins. And what the scary part for us is their sins look a whole lot like a lot of our sins. And then in the middle of all of these woes, there are these three brilliant flashes of light. And that's where we kind of narrowed in last week. Someday, verse 14, someday as the waters fill the sea, an earth will be filled with an awareness, with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. It's already here. They just don't see it. Someday every eye is going to be open and who God is and what God is doing is going to become apparent and it's going to blow them away. We talked about this last week. Our job is to let them see that now. Let them see his glory now. Verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You may think the world is spinning out of control. A lot of people do now. You may wonder whether God is there and what God's going to do about it. Guys, God hasn't gone anywhere. He is omnipotently powerful. He is omnisciently wise. And he is perfectly good and gracious. So, shh, relax. Take us to the third flash of light, verse 4, all the way back to verse 4. The righteous, the righteous, those who are righteous will live by faith or faithfully or maybe even better. Those who are righteous will trust him, trust him, even when life is hard and confusing. We need that stuff right here, right now. But there's one more little chapter in this little book, chapter 3. And in this chapter, God gives us a vision of what's coming someday at the right time the right time, God's going to sort things out. And we've got to trust that God knows the right time better than we do. One fascinating piece is that this whole chapter 3 is, it's a vision that's in the form of a song. Verse 1, this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk on Shigianoth, which seems to be a musical notation of some time. Maybe sing it with passion, deep passion. And twice in the song, you're not going to see it in the parts we look at, but twice in the song he mentions the little phrase, Selah, another one of those musical words that you can see sometimes in the Psalms. I think Selah means something like insert the chorus here and repeat it ten times, right? That's contemporary. That's humor, by the way. So the song opens like this. This is so cool. Habakkuk says, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. And in this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I've heard the stories, God. Believe the stories. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, calling Israel out of Egypt, how you work through guys like Joshua and Gideon and Samson and through prophets like Elijah and Elisha. You're always there, God. In your perfect way, in your perfect time, you always came through. I've heard about you, God. I've heard about you. And I've, I'm in awe of your amazing works. Now, God, please do it again. Right now, we need you to do it again, God. But in your anger, please remember your mercy. What a, what a statement. And then in answer to his prayer, God gives Habakkuk a vision. God says, I'm going to do it again. Here it is. He give you a glimpse. In my perfect time, in my perfect way, I'm going to be there. 
says, I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. I know, guys, that those place names don't mean anything to you and to me, but Habakkuk knew. And basically, just like God showed up at the Exodus, he's going to show up again. And this coming is going to blow their minds. Verse 4, his coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light will flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Have you ever pondered how dazzled you will be when Jesus comes back? It's not what it's talking about here, but it's similar. Can you imagine any time when you actually get a glimpse of God moving? For some, the coming will be glorious. For others, it's going to be terrifying. Verses 5 to 6. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains. He levels the eternal hills. You know why? Because he is the eternal one. Habakkuk knew God is good, God is grace, but God is also holy. And so God someday is going to sort everything out. And that day is going to be a great day for some and for others. Well, as the waters fill the earth and the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God, someday every eye will be opened and who he is and what he's doing is going to be crystal clear. So our job is to get them to see that now. I know that the imagery Habakkuk uses is old, but you still sense its power. Here it is, verse 9. You brandished your bow, your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and they trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and the moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. It's God. This is the creator acting, the omnipotently powerful one. And Habakkuk keeps singing, verse 12. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You crushed, it says you crushed, next slide if you don't mind. Well, I'm sorry, I guess I didn't put it up there. All right. Let me just read the rest of it. You crush the heads of the wicked and you strip their bones from head to toe. And that stuff sounds awful, but did you know that God would neither be holy nor good if in the end he didn't deal with those who reject his grace? So Habakkuk is like, God, you've done it before. We were amazed. Do it again, God. Make things right, God. In the face of this pandemic, God, we need you to show up. In the face of all of this racial unrest, God, we need you to show up. In the face of all of the economic uncertainties, God, we need you to show up. God says, I'm coming. The right time and the right way, I'm coming. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Can you guys trust that God is right here right now? Can you trust that God is good? Not just intellectually, can you trust him? 
Can you trust God when you understand him? Can you trust God when you don't? Can you trust God when you agree with him? Can you trust God when you don't? Do you understand that your strength and your joy and your peace are tied to your ability to trust him? And then verse 16. 16 is the turning point. This is Habakkuk's response to the vision. He says, I trembled when I heard this. No kidding. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. So I will wait quietly. I'll wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. I do trust you, Habakkuk says. There's still a sense of dread because Habakkuk sees. He knows what's coming, and it's going to be hard. And yet in the middle of all of that, there's this supernatural calm. Because that's what trust does for a man or a woman or a child. He knows what's coming and he's not going to run. He knows that things might get bad, really bad. He knows the nations is going to reel. He knows that some people are going to reject God. He knows that others are going to try to work things out in their own way on their own and they will fail. And he says, okay, God, I'm ready. Are you? I'll wait quietly, he says. This is the athlete in the, in the minutes before the epic game. This is the family in the cellar waiting for the tornado to strike. This is the soldier on the battlefield waiting for the order to charge, knowing that no matter how tough the fight, it's going to win. It's going to win. It's already won. Because he's trusting the omnipotently powerful, the omnisciently wise and the perfectly good God. So he's already won. I will wait quietly. I'll wait patiently, it says. I won't act out inappropriately in my impatience or my fear. I'm not going to behave in a way that shames my God because I'm afraid. I won't get swept along by the currents of culture, the currents of a culture that is at war with its God. I'm going to bite my tongue and control my emotions even when it's hard. I'm going to do life with God, for God, God's way, because I trust him. And then here it is. This is the coup de grace of the chapter. This is the coup de grace of the book. In my opinion, this is the coup de grace of the Old Testament faith. This, to me, is almost as wild as Paul telling God, that he would go to hell in their place, kind of like Jesus did. Here it is, verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, even though the fields lie empty and barren, and the flocks die in the fields, and the barn, cattle barns are empty, even though all of that, I'm going to rejoice in my Lord. I'm going to be joyful in the God of my salvation because the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread on the heights. And remember, when Habakkuk said these words, he has no understanding yet of heaven or hell. He doesn't understand like we do that someday the struggles of today are going to seem like nothing. For all he knows, the rest of his life is going to be pain. And yet even though there are no figs, no grapes, no olives, no bread, those are the basics, guys. 
This is like our saying, even if all of the shelves are empty, all of them at Kroger, Walmart, Aldi's, wherever. Even if the sheep are gone, the cattle are gone, no meat, no dairy, no money. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. This is a, a, a baby going from crying in the crib to nuzzling at her mother's breast. This is a preschooler who's fallen and scraped his knee, falling asleep in his father's arms. This is God. God, I know, I know you've got this. All I need to know is that you love me. Do you believe that? This is even though my spouse said till death do us part, it didn't go down that way. But I know God's there and I know God is good and I'm going to trust him. This is even though I raised my kids to know better, they're making bad choices right now. But I know God is there and I know he's powerful and I know he's good and I'm going to trust him. This is even though we prayed for healing and instead she's getting worse. I know God is there and he's good and I'm going to trust him. This is even though I know our house hasn't sold and we've lost our jobs, I know God is there and I know he's wise and good and I am going to trust him. This is climbing to the top of the ladder to reach what God has for you. Now you can see what God wants you to see, reach what God wants you to reach and you find a strength and a courage and a peace and a joy. My preaching partner Randy and I Both used to work at Kentucky Christian College. Dick Dameron was one of our close friends. Dick was an amazing guy, about as wise and humble a man as they come. One time in chapel, Dick was preaching on Habakkuk 3. This is what he said. He said, I don't know that I have that kind of faith. I don't know that I have the faith of Habakkuk. And then he said, well, God answers Dick, I didn't put you in Habakkuk's kind of situation. You do have the kind of faith, you do have the kind of trust that you need for what you're facing. So do you. And Dick was a remarkable man of faith in some really, really hard times. Every one of us can trust our God with whatever we're facing if we're willing And only in that trust will we find the strength and the courage and the peace and the joy that he's trying to pour out on the life of those who do life with him. Guys, hard times will either make us or break us as Jesus followers. A whole lot of Jesus followers quit when the going gets tough and they miss it. Other Jesus followers, well, we hang on to some faith, but we really do struggle to trust him. Only those who keep climbing. And every one of them will tell you it's worth it. These words were found on a cellar wall where Jews were hiding in World War II. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. And I believe in God even when he is quiet. Do you? 1851, an English missionary named Alan Gardiner was shipwrecked with a number of other folk on a remote island off the southern coast of South America. They all died one at a time. Gardiner was the last to die. You know how we know? He kept a journal. 
Second to the last sentence in his journal reads this. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek on the Lord shall lack no good thing. And beneath those words, the last words he ever penned was this. He says, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. This is a man dying of hunger far from home. His body is broken, and he's overwhelmed by the goodness of God. That, guys, is trust. That's trust. That's joy. So, belief, faith, trust. Where are you? Can you say it with me? I believe God. Say it with me. I believe God. Do you? Maybe you believe in God, but you've never taken a step of faith to accept him as your Savior and Lord. Do you have faith in God? Can you say it with me? I have faith in God. If you can't say that, what's holding you back? More than that, what are you missing? Maybe some of you have taken that first step of faith, but you've never really climbed up to the level of trust. Do you trust God? Can you say it with me? I trust God. (laughs) I mean, if you can't say it from the heart, what's holding you back? And more than that, what are you missing? Guys, don't settle. We have an omnipotently powerful, omnisciently wise, perfectly good, and gracious God. Trust Him. Don't you pray with me, please? Father, there are some either here or who are listening who've never taken that first step of, of faith. I pray, Lord, that you'll just tweak their hearts and let them have the courage to do that right thing. And Father, there are those who are, have taken that step of faith, but they haven't really stepped up to trust. Father, help us to realize how generous you are with your grace, how beneficent you are with your gifts, and help us never to settle. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.